This episode is made possible with the help of our friends at Deep Eddie Vodka. All right, everyone. There's many things I love about this vodka, as you probably know if you've heard me talk about it. But one of my personal favorites, besides how smooth it is, because they distill it 10 times, is if you opt for one of their delicious flavored vodkas, they're all made with real fruit juice. Listen, they have a ruby red, which you can use to make Tony Abu Ghanim's drink that we did in the first Beyond the Drink episode. They have a peach, which I'm not a huge peach fan, but this peach vodka is A+. And they have a cranberry, which I've yet to try, but this holiday season, I think I'm gonna dig into that cranberry vodka. And it's authentic American-made vodka in Austin, Texas. Here's what I also love about Deep Eddy Vodka. They work with quite a few different charitable organizations, as you've probably heard. One of those is Folds of Honor, which is a nonprofit organization that helps provide the families of fallen and disabled service members educational scholarships. Cheers, Deep Eddy. To learn more about Deep Eddy, go to deepeddyvodka.com and follow them on social media at Deep Eddy Vodka. Deep Eddy, we thank you. Hey everyone, this is Cappy and you're listening to Beyond the Drink, a production of Beyond the Plate. Beyond the Drink is a short segment where some of the best mixology minds in the industry describe a cocktail that is meaningful to them. In this week's episode, we're talking with Guy Yarushi and Ben Potts from Unfiltered Hospitality in Miami. Last week, you heard from Ben, and this week, we're going to hear from Guy. Guy was named one of Food & Wine Magazine's 10 Best New Mixologists in 2015. Star Chefs named him Rising Star Mixologist in 2016. Spirited Miami's Bartender of the Year in 2018. Drinks International List of 50 Best Bars in the World, 2014 to 2017. The guy can mix a cocktail, everybody. All right, Guy's going to walk us through a vodka-based cocktail. It's called Sunshine State of Mind. There's a couple different components here we're going to dive into. Ben joins us in this episode. These guys are a ton of fun. We learned a ton in last week's episode, so make sure to check out Ben's cocktail. All right, everyone, please enjoy this episode as we go beyond the drink with Guy Yaroshi. Hello, everyone. My name is Guy Yarashi. I am a the co-founder of Unfiltered Hospitality here with my partner, Ben. What's up, guys? Uh, I'm also a partner in Chinola Passion Fruit Liqueur and the beverage guy at Baby Jane Miami. The drink I'm going to share with everyone today is called the Sunshine State of Mind. This is a drink that was done very early in my career at Broken Shaker. We used to change the entire cocktail menu every two to three weeks. And so, and we just did one cocktail per spirit. So we had a vodka cocktail, rum, gin, tequila, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a lot of pressure to kind of get that one right. If the vodka cocktail needs to be one generally, unlike Ben's, that appeals to everyone. <laughs> and so I wanted something, you know, the, the other thing is we were, we were getting started in an age of cocktails. It was very, very culinarily focused. And, you know, we were kind of known for pushing the envelope. And so Every menu, we'd have a few cocktails that really did that in terms of like ingredients that challenge people or, or drink styles that really challenge people. But a lot of times, I kind of wanted the vodka cocktail to be a quick, approachable one for somebody that could walk up to the bar and see seven drinks and say, that's my cocktail. And so the Sunshine State of Mind was one of those that I felt like, okay, that's a no-brainer. And it also takes, it's a pretty simple cocktail roadmap. Map. It's essentially a vodka Collins. And I'll kind of run down the ingredient list for you. So first, ounce and a half of vodka. And I, 
unlike most of my fellow sort of mixologist types at that time, I've always really liked working with vodka. I think, you know, where, where all cocktails are sort of a balance of boozy, sweet, sour, boozy, bitter, uh, sweet, you know, that, those kind of styles. You don't really have to balance around the vodka. The vodka acts like you remember. Did you ever watch like Bob Ross and he had like the magic uh, thinner that like, that like expanded the color, brightened the color. And with vodka, you kind of have this opportunity to really like showcase the other ingredients and act as like a vehicle. So yeah, and in this cocktail, it really does that. It lengthens and kind of stretches and makes those those bright flavors of it even brighter. So um, next is a half ounce of sunshine syrup. Sunshine syrup is. Uh, compound syrup, as we call it, multiple ingredients that has the juice and peels of a few clementines. So nice, bright and orangey citrus, just the zest of one navel orange and the zest of one lemon. That's in our little homemade version. We were making it a shaker selling 300 a day. We were doing 10 quarts of it. But for the for the sake of you guys making it at home, that would work. Uh, the next ingredient is Mandarin Napoleon. Mandarin Napoleon is a cool, it's an, it's an orange liqueur, but it's made with Napoleon cognac, which means it's, it's aged for 10 years. So you get this nice, it's a balance of sort of the sweet citrus and, and depth of flavor from like, uh, well-aged cognac. So just a quarter ounce of that. Somehow Mark DeKuyper found a way to make it affordable. Um, but we're still only using a quarter ounce and then three quarter ounces of fresh lemon juice, again, to kind of balance that sweetness and, and add a, a bright citrusiness and just a, about two ounces of club soda at the top. So to make it, we take all those liquid ingredients, except for the club soda, we give it a, a quick hard shake to sort of incorporate it, aerate it, but not over dilute it, strain it into a Collins glass over ice, top with that little bit of soda and kind of give it just a, a, a stir and then add, uh, we'd, we'd garnish it with slices of mandarins, like two mandarin slices and a sprig of fresh rosemary. Just give it a little tap to open it up. And so what you get, again, deceptively simple and easy to enjoy. The flavors are so like bright and nice, but there's also a lot of complexity from the sort of herbiness, the age of the mandarin, the vodka kind of brightening and lightening the whole thing up. It's a really great cocktail. I don't know why this just came to my head, but this just came to my head. Rosemary is a strong flavor. And I feel like some people see it and they're like, oh, I don't like rosemary. How do you deal with that behind the bar? Like with a, with a customer coming up? I, I mean, I, I feel like you guys are so experienced that you are like, trust me on this one or give me a second. Or Yeah. Well, and I think it's, it's all about like, so certain herbs and cocktails you want to shake. Other times you want to cook it into the syrup. So like with mint and a, and a mojito or something, really getting it in there and muddling it in the glass, getting the oils and the bitterness and the freshness all in there is really important. And sometimes like I have a, uh, a whiskey cocktail that I do with grapefruit, fresh lemon, some Angostura. And, and you always want to give a good shake of the rosemary and get it in there because it need, you're dealing with a lot of other strong intense flavors. But in, in this version, you just want it to be this kind of nice, light, aromatic component. Because again, we talked about the way that cocktails balance. And for me, it's always going to be that spirit, the sweetness, the sour, the bitter, whatever. But having another two or three like underlying elements to kind of tie it all together is what really makes a, a great cocktail. Got it. And you know, you put something in this recipe, which I've never really seen. You said, give it a short, hard shake. Is that because of dilution? Yeah, it's, it's a little bit of everything. Like, um, when we do trainings with bartenders, we talk a lot about like setting an intention for a drink. And so, you know, in, in that, in, in Ben's conversation, he talked about the daiquiri and that's a great example of a drink where I, I, I asked 
bartenders to say like, what's really most important that makes a daiquiri daiquiri? You're thinking about that like sharpness of citrus that you get, that nice like pleasant sweetness that goes under and then the booziness of the rum. And so how would you achieve that beyond? Because as, as everybody knows, the recipe is the recipe. Pretty easy, two, one, one. Yes, you can make simple syrup with a little more nuance. You can break out that refractometer. But the real art in that is how you shake it and how you treat the, the making of it and just having an idea in mind. So when you go to shake that drink, knowing am I in New York in a well air conditioned cocktail bar with good hard ice or am I in Miami in an indoor outdoor cocktail bar with ice that, you know, has, has been softening for two hours. So you always just kind of want to take those things. That's what really makes great drinks is when people kind of, again, envision that end goal. And, and we talk about that a lot too with like with cooks, they wouldn't kind of just set out. No, no chef sets out just be kind of like start throwing ingredients in the pan and see how it goes. It's like, no, I want a nice crust. I'm going to give it a hard sear and then I'm going to, you know, do X, Y, Z. And I think it's something bartenders have to take more into consideration than we give them credit for sometimes. That's crazy. And so enlightening, like what, I mean, setting the intention for a drink, you're right. I mean, if I'm making caramelized onions, I know I want like this, like slow cook, draw out the sugars, get it nice and brown and sweet. I know what that end product is. And I think for you, you, you don't just mix a bunch of stuff in a glass and see how it tastes. You want to, you want to kind of set an intention for how do you want the cocktail to taste? I hadn't really thought about the steak example, but let me let me pat myself on the back for that one. But that's true, right? I mean, like you can you could put a probe in it and get it to one thirty five in the oven with no heat. You could do it like on a you know half temperature gas stove, or you could do it like a good hard sear and sear it through, or whatever. And each one is going to give you such a different result and end result, you know. Yeah, Guy is actually a very enthusiastic uh, griller, uh, probably the most professional amateur griller. I mean, you just got a new smoker, what, two days ago? Oh, yeah. I, uh, I had a little uh, a, a close encounter of the COVID kind. I was near someone that had it. So I've been like quarantining for days. And what I did was like bought myself a new smoker. I was like getting beef cheeks out of the freezer and doing like seven hour cooks while I'm just working from home and can go check on it. That's like my stretching break. Uh, it's been a magical week at home. How do you, speaking of smoker, how do you guys feel about like the smoked cocktails and smoking gun device and stuff like that? Yeah, I, I was actually on a podcast recently talking, talking about smoked cocktails. I did a thing. Yeah, when I was doing research on it, I was like, I was looking stuff up on Google and I, I was like, oh man, this guy's got some pretty good stuff. And I realized it was an article that I had been quoted in like six years ago. <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's pretty meta. I was pretty into it. Hey, hey, Guy, you mentioned something interesting when you're train when you guys are training bartenders to make drinks and setting that intention, which is sticking with me because it's so interesting. As well as, is your bar indoor outdoor? Is it in New York? Are you, are you developing a drink in the winter time, or are you broken shaker in Miami where? you're going to have some hot, I don't want to say months, not even days, you know, here's my question. There's some old school chefs and the myth, which is not really a myth goes. If a cook comes into the kitchen and you want to like, as an interview, you say, make me an omelet and you want to see how they make an omelet. Cause you could really sense their finesse and their skill for how they crack an egg, mix the omelet, fold the omelet, all that good stuff. Is there anything like that? Like, would you guys ever say to someone like make me a daiquiri? Well, my, my, mine is the, I have two. I have the Hemingway daiquiri and the Martinez. Uh, and oh, dude, what about the Vucare? Vucare is nice. So that, that used to be one, but I've, t- I found that I just kind of like any one that I get in the Vucare department as long as like, that's more just to see if they know their recipes. But I think, so like, yeah, the daiquiri is always one an old fashioned, like, you know, if they have some experience, but for me, like, okay, I know that this person has some experience and we're going to see like 
can't, do they, do they get the sense of balance? Man, I, I'm going to talk about that a lot in this podcast, I think today, but, um, but, and so Hemingway, for those that don't know is, uh, white rum, lime juice, grapefruit juice, maraschino. I personally add a drop of simple syrup, but you know, as the lore and, and story goes, Hemingway didn't drink his with any sugar because he was diabetic from all the alcohol. So he was just the grapefruit and maraschino. And the, the other thing, so it's not just one, it's a hard drink to balance because you're doing it with very limited sugar and a decent bit of citrus and, and whatever. Maraschino is a pretty pronounced flavor ingredient. So too much to, to balance, then you, then you have that almost medicinal flavor. And then last that's a drink that tells me, is this person going to go and taste their ingredients? Because grapefruit juice changes more in a short period of time than any other citrus, in my opinion. So like lime juice, 24 hours, you're pretty much safe. It's more or less the same lime juice in that time. And I'm sure you'll have other mixologists on the show that'll disagree with me, but that's my general thinking. But grapefruit juice, if you squeeze fresh squeezed grapefruit juice with your hand into the tin, 100% different than if you juiced it six hours ago, than if you bought, you know, the pasteurized, but quote unquote fresh versus God forbid you used a, a steel, steel tin can or whatever of it. So, so not only do you have to like have your recipe down, you really have to taste the ingredients you're working with right then to get it just right. Sunshine syrup we touched upon. You mentioned the Mandarin Napoleon. It's a liqueur. To explain to us, I, I feel like everyone knows the name liqueur, but what is a liqueur? So liqueur, I mean, in the most basic sense is, is it comes down to a, ma- a number of bricks or sweetness. So they, it's actually, it's generally, if you guys don't get a refractometer endorsement after this, that's what <laughs> yeah, you're right? <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, I think it's anything over 101 grams per liter of sugar added to a spirit sort of base could be considered, is considered liqueur, like less than that would be considered like a flavored rum or flavored vodka or something. And they might have that much sugar. I'm sure there's a lot of other rules, but I I think of liqueurs as a spirit base that is sweetened with a flavor to showcase, basically. Yeah. And then there's also like a creme, like creme de cassis, whatever. And that has even more sugar. I think it's like 250 grams per liter or something like that. Something absurd, like something really, really high. And these, and so like the, the Mandarin Napoleon is a very old school style a la Grand Marnier, more closest to Grand Marnier if you're going to compare it to something or Grand Gala, but it's a, it's a, they would use mostly orange peels and, and add it to an eau de vie or cognac base. In this case, it's a, a blend of some pretty old cognac and, and eau de vie. Interesting. And thoughts, you mentioned soda water to top. Soda versus seltzer, same, different? Regional regional difference. You know, like I think it's the, the it's basically carbonated water versus mineral water that naturally has bubbles in it. I think I think there's something about the sodium content that comes into consideration and maybe where it's sourced, but I haven't found like a real like I mean, there's probably some water psalms out there who could probably be like, oh, of course it's very different. You know, you have spring water and you have mineral water and you have club soda. I was like, oh, sorry. You know, I'm sure it's important, but in the cocktail, uh, less so. Yeah. And then my last thing I want to bring up is last week in Guy's episode, we we heard him put the the drink in the glass and top with ice. And I see in yours, you're having us fill a glass with ice. So yeah, that that so there's two lines of thinking. But anyway, yeah, basically the same that I want to get I want to not shake the dilution into it. I want to start the dilution process in the glass. So I pour it over ice. And 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 with crushed, 
ice, you're getting dilution right away. One, so it, it's two things in, in Ben's example. One, you have a harder time gauging volume. Once you have a glass filled with crushed ice, you think like, oh, I got room to pour my drink and you have room for three ounces of drink in your glass and the rest is in the tent. And two, the moment you pour it over, you're, you're getting a pretty good amount of dilution. So you just have to be a little more careful with crushed. You'd like to add it at the end. So whatever space is left, fill it up with crushed ice. Awesome. Sounds delicious. Sunshine state of mind, everybody. Gee, we want to give you a moment uh, to shed some light on an organization or fund that you'd like to maybe raise some awareness for that's kind of moved you recently. As you, I think, know on our companion podcast, Beyond the Plate, all of these chefs give back in different ways. So is there an organization you'd like to, to highlight for everyone listening? Um, yeah, so my wife and I support, it's a place called Earth and Us Farm in Little Haiti. It's, it's, a, it's a smaller local charity, but they do some really, really cool stuff, both in doing like a farm school for little kids to kind of like growing up in urban areas to learn about how they can make the most out of their land. And for my daughter, just a great way to be around livestock and stuff. She loves it. And then they also accept donations that they support back to the community in terms of like kid, children stuff, adult stuff, getting people clothed and with the, some of the resources they need. So we try and support them as much as possible. I love that. Very cool. Thanks for sharing that. I want to check them out. All right, let's do a quick speed round before we close it out here. Uh, name the cocktail that inspired you to get behind the bar. Okay, so I heard Ben's and I, I have two. So the one that got me behind a cocktail bar was the Sazerac. I brought up my wife a lot on this podcast, but she was actually in, uh, in the mixology world before I was. I was just a bartender before that. And she made me a Sazerac on one of our first dates. And I was like blown away. I'd never had a drink like that before. And it was great. And then um, the one that got me behind the bar in the first place was the Mexican martini for those shout out to Austin, Texas. If you know the Mexican martini, it's basically a margarita where you take out the Cointreau and add olive juice. Usually you get it with the shaker in there, salted rim, olive in there. But that one... As a, I didn't really realize I was a big flavor and taste guy. I've been cooking since I was five years old, um, but that flavor was just like, yo, it's a margarita, but it's salty and it's different. And I mean, I'm I'm preaching to the choir to people in Austin because every place has one. And uh, another one is uh, David Allen, who's the who was previously he was like the education guy for Patron. He was a big Austin bar guy. He was one of the first people I knew that had a big cocktail blog. He he is out to make the Mexican martini national, not just in Austin. Tipsy Texas, yeah. What pisses you off behind the bar? Spirulina. Yeah, spirulina cocktails. I'm going to go with bartenders that think it's more about them than the guest experience, for sure. Yeah, we don't, thankfully it's changing now again. We had a a wave of like, you know, the uh, hoity-toity mixologists and now we, we have those, but they're actually pretty fun, you know punk rock people and they and they make great drinks and whatever so we're, we're kind of getting away from that like you have to you have to deal with me to get a drink kind of mentality yeah got it what makes you happy behind the bar um i love seeing a room that's really vibing with each other i mean i miss that the most out of not being behind a bar with regularity anymore i used to love to like do the music really be able to kind of point at those people across the room make introductions and kind of get the room going there's no better feeling i'm sure we've all that's what being in a bar should really be all about so hopefully we get back to that kind of feeling pretty soon. And maybe I find a way to get behind the bar one night a week or something. That would be great too. Closing it out, which one cocktail should every home mixologist have in their repertoire? Uh, I think right now I would say the margarita. It's the, it's, the, it's the most called for drink in any bar. And it's a drink that nobody would say no to if they were over at your house. 
So learn, learn your margarita. That's the other thing that's fun about it is you can have your own little spin and take. I use Quantra. I use Grammarnia. I use Mandarin Napoleon. I don't use any of those. I use two dashes of orange bitters. You have this chance to kind of like uh, make it your own, but it's also a drink that everybody wants to drink at any you know festive occasion. All right, man. Sunshine state of mind. I said this to Ben last week and I'll say it to you this week. I'm excited to get back down to Miami one day and you both have my word that you two will be the first I seek out to get a good cocktail once I once I get down to South Miami, South Florida. Can't wait. That would be great. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Thank you for having us. It's been great. Find more on Guy and Ben and Unfiltered Hospitality at unfilteredhospo.com. This episode is produced by myself along with Ian Cohen and Joel Yetton. Find me and keep up to date with this podcast across all social media platforms at Oncappy's Plate or go to beyondtheplatepodcast.com. Beyond the Plate is on all the socials at BT Play Podcast. Please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on your listening site of choice. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Drink, a production of Beyond the Plate. I'm Cappy.